This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Church. Thanks so much for being with us. Please look on a copy of the Scriptures with me to Galatians chapter 5. If you're here this morning and you don't have a copy of the Bible, if you'll raise your hand. We have some guys that will give you a free copy. Just raise your hand leave them up for a second. These guys will give you a copy of the Scriptures and you can turn with us to Galatians chapter 5. I think before I read God's Word, I need to confess, 58 years old and I have never served in children's ministry for one day. Not one time in my entire life. So I feel guilty. I just want to confess that. Coming to the light. I know. I am very thankful for our children's ministry workers. I babysit six grandchildren every Thursday night and I'm near death at the end of that time. So I really appreciate you. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, which we looked at last week, but our text today will be verses 2 through 6. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That is God's Word. And I think today, He is calling us to stand firm in grace and let our faith work through love. Stand firm in grace, and let our faith work through love. Jerry Bridges said the most important question any person can ask is how can I, a sinful person, be accepted by an infinitely holy and righteous God? 
The most important question any of us in this room today can ask is, how can I, a sinful person, be accepted by an infinitely holy and righteous God? Mr. Bridges says, Paul tells us, that it is by trusting in the righteousness of Christ. We've seen in Galatians that the Judaizers are challenging Paul's answer to this question. They're saying it is by trusting Christ and, in addition to that, fulfilling the requirements of the law. Now, you probably haven't had a Judaizer come to the door this week. But Galatians is relevant because legalism is alive and well in the 21st century. I'm a fly fisherman, and as a result, I've spent a lot of time out west. Because that's where the trout live. And I've encountered the Mormon church and experienced life where they are the dominant religion. I've spent some time as a result trying to understand their beliefs and Sherry, my wife Sherry and I once went on a tour. We flew into Salt Lake City and there was something that looked like an official government tour of the Mormon temple, or so we thought. Instead, it was actually an outreach of the Mormon church. And we got in a van. We were the only two in the van with some very spooky people. Maybe I watched the Twilight Zone too much, but I was fairly convinced if they found out I was a Christian pastor, I'd be killed. And they, they took us to this place where they taught, taught us all about their beliefs. It was... It was legalistic, and I pushed back. I, I said, I want to go to the temple. Well, I couldn't go to the temple. And so, I asked why. I said, I was a Christian. I want to go to the temple. And they wouldn't let me. And they, they were very well versed. They quoted, misinterpreted, and misapplied the famous verse from James 2, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. I went to their website, and they actually have a section. What must I do to be worthy to enter the temple? Here's what they say. Temples are literally the houses of the Lord where He may visit. If you come to the temple worthily and spiritually prepared, you will feel His presence and receive personal revelation through the power of the Holy Ghost. In order to enter the temple, you must be living the Lord's standards and keeping your baptismal covenants. And after you certify your worthiness in interviews with priesthood leaders, you may receive a recommend to enter the temple. That is blatant legalism. Not hard to discern. Lest we focus too much on Mormons 
Sinclair Ferguson says, everybody by nature is a legalist. That's why Galatians is relevant in the 21st century. It explains, I think, the popularity of Mormonism. It also explains the popularity of antinomianism. That means against the law. To be an antinomian is to be against the law. So I'm going to fight my legalism by being against the law and not obeying the law. But it's a fruit of legalism too. Everybody by nature is a legalist. The thought is always that antinomianism is the best medicine for legalism, and this isn't true. Every antinomian is actually a legalist trying to escape their legalism, but they're taking the wrong medicine. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? Consider that the younger son actually has the same attitude towards his father as his older brother. The older brother, you remember, regards his father as a harsh taskmaster. All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never been, I've never been given a party. Why'd the younger son leave home? He thought if he stayed home, the only thing he would do was slave for his father. He was just like his older brother. But instead of trying to do the right thing and obey his dad, earn his acceptance, he chose to run away so that he could be free. And when he recognizes he's in trouble and he's going to be better off with his dad, he, he begins to rehearse how he can work his way back into his father's good graces. He's a legalist. But throughout Galatians, Paul tells us this is wrong and that we are to trust in the righteousness of Christ alone. It protects us from legalism. Our text is no exception. It's a transitional moment. We're going to be going into commands in the future in Galatians. But our text is transitional. And here, Paul is moving from primarily teaching gospel truth to exhorting his readers to live in their gospel freedom. In our text, Paul instructs the Galatians and us, I believe, and he warns them and us, and he exhorts us finally so that we can stand firm in the Gospel. So let, let's look first at his instructions. Paul instructs us in these verses. Look at verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. This is the first time in, his, in the letter where he's gotten very specific about the issue of circumcision. He's addressing it now directly. He's laid this theological foundation and now he wants them to understand how firm he is on this issue. They must not accept circumcision. He wants them to see how firm he is and how serious it is. And this is instructive for us. We've already seen these, these Galatians are tempted by these false teachers. They, they have a desire 
to be under the law as a whole. So all that Paul's already said about the law applies to circumcision, and he's done that intentionally. And now here in verse 2, it's, it's, it's transition time, and he's reaffirming this. He says, look, I, Paul... They're serious. There's authority. He's playing the apostle card. This is not just a difference of opinion. I'm okay, you're okay. He's playing the apostle card. Thus says the Lord. This is the Word of God. If you accept Circumcision. One commentator is blunt, concise. He says, if they submit to the knife, they will find no profit in Christ at the final judgment. That's what Paul is saying in this text. If they submit to circumcision, no profit in Christ on that last day when they stand before God. important to, to see there in verse 2 that this, this verb that's translated no advantage is, is a clear reference to the final judgment. Circumcision only profits if you keep the entire law. In Romans 2, Paul wrote, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And so on that final day, circumcision will be of no value. Those who accept it and fail to observe the whole law are in grave danger about the most important question any person can ask. Verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have to keep the entire law perfectly to experience eternal life if you accept any part of the law. And it's impossible to do that. But we've seen that the, these believers, they desire, they want to be under the law. Everybody is a legalist. They are legalists. They want to be under the law. They're already observing the, the days in the law that you're supposed to observe. They aren't limiting themselves to just circumcision. And Paul says, I testify again. He's, he's repeating himself. Remember in chapter 3, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. He says that because no one can keep the law perfectly. And the law says, Cursed be everyone who doesn't abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So he says, You're, everybody is cursed who desires to be justified by keeping the law. You have to keep it completely. You can't just have circumcision and not keep it all. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse because no one can fulfill the requirements of the law. No one can be justified by coming under the law, keeping the law. 
And so anyone that attempts to be justified by legalism is in danger. And Paul is instructing them and instructing us about this awful burden of legalism. They'll be in debt to the entire law if they allow themselves to be circumcised. It's a terrible debt. You can't just do part of it. James says this in James 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point. See, the awful burden has become accountable for all of it. He's cursed. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. So if you don't commit adultery, but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. You can't observe some of the precepts of the law and ignore others. You can't do it. Putting yourself under the law is a burden because perfect obedience is required to be right with God, to be justified by the law, to be saved by keeping the law. It's a burden. The only hope the Galatians will have, if they accept circumcision and place themselves under the law, is to keep every part of the law without fail. So once they receive and accept circumcision, now they have this burden, perfect obedience, and it's impossible. If they they receive circumcision, any amount of legalism, they lose the benefits of the Gospel. Christ is no prophet to you. This is instructive, isn't it? No one can perform the whole law. Circumcision, therefore, has no saving benefit. You lose Christ. The Gospel is exclusive. There's no middle ground. Legalism means losing Christ and all that God is for us in Him. Paul has a zero tolerance policy on legalism. Why is that? It's instructive why he's so firm about this. I, Paul, Because God is the one who justifies. Zero tolerance comes from God. Remember, to be justified is to be absolved from any charge of guilt. It's to be declared absolutely righteous. It means we no longer have any debt to God's wrath, any liability because of our guilt. We are personally accepted by God because of Jesus Christ. Jerry Bridges says justification is like the two sides of a coin. On the one side, we're declared not guilty before God. And on the other, we are positively declared to be righteous through Christ. That is, we're counted in God's sight 
as having perfectly obeyed the law of God. Our justification by God is based solely on the work of Christ and our, our union with Him. God sees us legally as so connected with Christ that what He did, we did. That's the good news. That's the Gospel. Christ stood in our place as our representative. Christ lived a sinless life as our representative for us. He bore God's wrath in His death on the cross on our behalf for us. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2. Christ's life and death are ours by virtue of our union with Him. These are objective truths. They are true whether we get it or not. That is the truth. Now let's think about this for a minute. Let's apply it. Because every week, every day, we fail, don't we? And so we often find that our acceptance with God is, is difficult to believe. It's, it's hard to believe. We, we just don't feel God is for us. We think and feel He's against us. And that's when we have to preach this good news to us. To ourselves. We, we have to review all these things. That's why this is so instructive and helpful. God has declared this to be true. God has declared we're justified in Christ. It's a completed work in His eyes. The penalty's been paid. His justice has been satisfied. And we receive it through faith. And, and justification has to be applied to our conscience every day through faith because every day our conscience says, you're guilty. <laughs> you are so guilty. It, that's, that's what we pay it the big bucks to do. That's a, the job of our conscience. That, no, wait a minute. You want a healthy, active conscience to do that. You don't want your conscience seared. You, want, you don't want to deceive your conscience. What we want to do is by faith bring the verdict of conscience into line with the verdict of heaven. Of God's verdict because of Christ. We agree with our conscience about our guilt. But then we preach the Gospel. And we remind our conscience that our guilt has been counted as Christ's guilt. His innocence is our innocence. And this, this is given to us freely without payment of any kind. You can't purchase it with good works. It's by grace. It's the undeserved favor of God shown to those who deserve His wrath. And this is why there can be no middle ground. Zero tolerance. You can't compromise the Gospel and the law. The righteous 
are the sinful who can somehow be counted as righteous when they are not righteous in themselves. How can a holy God not count sin? He does count sin. He punished sin in Christ. He does require perfect righteousness. He manifested it in Christ. It's instructive. Number two, this text warns us. Verse four, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Clearly, this is a warning about the dangers of legalism. If, if they attempt to come under the law to be justified before God, they're in trouble. Verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Warning. Verse 3, you are obligated to keep the whole law, which no one can do. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Recently read where the FDA now has concluded that, you know, these drug ads you see on the commercials where they, they go through this scenario and it all looks rosy and then they go through the side effects of the drug. They've concluded maybe there's too many of those warnings. A woman is getting her hair done. This is from the Chicago Tribune. But she's mortified of what her stylist will think of the red patches on her neck. She decides to have a serious talk with her dermatologist who prescribes Humira, I guess, the best-selling drug in the world. And her skin clears up, but then for the next 35 seconds, this is a commercial she's describing, the announcer rattles off a list of side effects. This drug can lower a person's ability to fight infections, including tuberculosis, serious, sometimes fatal events, including infections, lymphoma, and other types of cancer have happened. It's, there's something about heart failure, blood, liver, and nervous system problems, and you finally go, hey, I'm okay with the skin problem, you know? I think I'll just move on. And the, and the FDA has has seen that because of this, people aren't listening to the, the one or two warnings they really need to know about if they're going to take this drug. Eventually, you just go, oh, this is the lawyers at work again, and it's irrelevant, and we don't listen to it. This text is the Word of God. This is God speaking. Paul says, I, I, Paul, to emphasize he's an apostle, thus says the Lord. There, there are not too many warnings in this text. Paul's warnings are God's warnings. This is not overstated. Legalism is serious. It, it answers this most important question with a lie. And warnings in Scripture are intentional and critical and strategic. They are the means that God uses to sustain our faith. 
by His grace. You want to stand firm in grace? Heed the warnings. Heed the warnings. Listen to the warnings. Meditate on the warnings. Trying to be justified by the law means being cut off from Christ. The legalistic have to abandon the Gospel. If you add to the Gospel, you're severed from Christ. Paul, it, it doesn't seem like the Galatians have done this yet. It's, it's, it's a warning to prevent them from doing this. It's a gift to them. It's serious. It's strong. It's bold for them to rescue them. This is what's going to happen if you place yourself under the law. If you give in to legalism. If you buy into the Judaizers. Lies. Christ is going to be useless to you. This is what's going to happen if you embrace this error. There's no compromise. They'll be falling away from grace. They're mutually exclusive. Christ and grace and circumcision and the law, they can't go together. The law is absolutely opposed to grace. Here's Doug Moose, who's a well-known, respected theologian. Here's his what he called his Twitter definition of justification. And you'll, you'll, you'll see why these warnings are in Galatians. Now, it's not 140 characters, so apparently he's not on Twitter. The Bible pictures all human beings as defendants in a courtroom. A courtroom in which God is the judge and our sins constitute the evidence against us. The judge weighs the evidence and finds every single one of us guilty of sin and announces that we therefore must be condemned. The marvelous news of justification is that God has Himself provided for us the means of escaping that condemnation. By responding to His gracious initiative in faith, we become joined with Christ who died for us and was raised for us. We become joined to Christ who takes on Himself the penalty for our sin and covers us with the righteousness that we need to reverse the verdict of condemnation and receive the verdict of justified, right with God. And because we've been joined to Christ the Holy One and have in that union received the gift of God's powerful Holy Spirit, we who have been justified also find our lives transformed so that we love God and neighbor. Now if I could use that many words, I might still be on Twitter. You can't smuggle good works into this, can you? Those who would be justified by the law. Any attempt to be justified by the law is doomed. Galatians 3, it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. If, if someone could keep the law, 
They would be declared righteous by means of the law, but they can't. Verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This is about the last day. This is a, a reference to the hope of every believer. The, the day will come right now. Our justification, it's, it's by faith. It's not seen. It's not even seen by us. It's not seen by the world. But on that day, it's going to be public. And so, it's a hope. We wait for it in hope, by faith, eagerly waiting for that day. This verse is all about that day. We eagerly wait where our justification is going to made, be made public. Maybe most importantly to us. Because on that day, we'll be declared accepted by God. And in fact, the whole world will know. That's our eager expectation. But legalism being severed from Christ, falling away from grace, ends differently. And that's the warning. Finally, Paul exhorts us. Verse 6, and again, this is a big transition now. When we come back after the first of the year and return to Galatians, Paul is going to be exhorting us to live a life of love by faith. And this is a transition moment. Verse 6, In Christ Jesus, neither, un, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only, this is what counts, faith working through love. This is the basis for verse 5. For, faith working through love. For, that's, that's why on that final day, we'll be accepted. Faith. Working through love. The solution to legalism is not antinomianism. That's the wrong medicine. The solution is faith alone. Listen to Dr. Piper. In the courtroom of heaven, an ungodly sinner is declared righteous by faith alone. Christ's righteousness is imputed to him. He doesn't have a righteousness of his own when God accepts him. His faith is all receiving. He's not yet become loving. Christ's faithful life of love, which perfectly fulfilled the law of God, is imputed to the ungodly. The ungodly are counted righteous. This is justification. This is the settling of the legal issue first. When that is settled, then the moral progress goes forward. That's called sanctification, where we're changed by the grace of God through faith to become more like Christ. Both are gifts, and both are bought by the blood of Christ. They're inseparable, but different. Both are by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone because only faith receives the declaration that the ungodly is counted righteous. Sanctification is by faith alone because only faith receives 
the power to bear the fruit of love. It is crucial that we not confuse or combine justification and sanctification. We're at a transition moment. We have to think about these things. We have to listen to Dr. Piper a minute. Confusing them will, in the end, undermine the gospel and turn justification by faith into justification by performance or legalism. And we're being warned about it. Both justification and sanctification are by faith alone. Changing, loving, requires a power we don't have. Sherry and I recently went to Germany. Many of you know this in October for the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation in Europe. It's part of our celebration here of this great work of God in the 16th century in Germany when the gospel was powerfully recovered and went to many historic sites and took many tours. And a lot of people have asked me something like, you know, what did you like the most on your trip to Germany? And, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I like driving 130 miles per hour on the Autobahn the most. I think we have a picture of me right there doing 130 miles per hour. Pretty impressive. Germany is famous for, for this fact that some of their... Uh, what they call the Autobahn, what we might call a freeway or an interstate, some of their rural sections, they have no speed limit. And so every time I hit one of those areas, that's what I looked like. And I was grinning from ear to ear. I read on the internet, due to this, it's uncommon, it's common, I'm sorry, to be overtaken by cars traveling 125 miles per hour. In other words, if you're on the Autobahn, you're in a rural area, watch out. Somebody will overtake you doing 125, and I just didn't, intended to make sure that didn't happen. <laughs> the key to driving that speed, though, isn't the speed laws. It's the car. When I went to rent a car, I had two choices. Mercedes or BMW. They're made in Germany. That's all they had. They, you know, they didn't have Fords. So yes, I was driving a Mercedes Benz all over Germany. Don't worry, I don't drive one here. I've got a 2,000 model Expedition with 235,000 miles on it. So before you put this on the internet, make sure you mention that. And if I tried to go 130 miles per hour in my truck, there would be an explosion. There would be parts flying off. People would be killed. Only a Mercedes, only a BMW can take advantage of the no speed limit. I mean, it, this, this guy wasn't even breathing hard. Only, only faith receives the power to bear the fruit of love. Go love others. It is very different from saying faith working through love. 
Stand firm in grace. And let your faith work through love. We're going to be thinking about that as we begin next year. And I'm looking forward to the Lord transforming us by His grace. Changing us. We want to think about these gospel truths. We want them to delight our hearts. And we want to love by the grace of God. We want to put to death our love for the world and delight in Christ. We want to think about justification by faith alone during this Advent season. Celebrate this week as we celebrate the birth of Christ. Father, thank You this morning, Lord, for Your mercy. Help us, Lord, today to put to death legalism. Help us to avoid legalism, Lord. By nature, we, every one of us, Lord, are legalists. Set us free. And help us stand firm in the grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Thank You for the Gospel, Lord. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Bill Kittrell given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.